Welcome to Music in the Church, a monthly podcast about thinking bigger in our faith, our ministries, and our churches. I'm Dr. Sarah Breeza, and today I am delighted to bring you a conversation with Pastor Lisa Heffernan about making our music programs welcoming to people with disabilities. Pastor Lisa is a pastor in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and she and I connected through Anita Smolin, who was on last month's Music and the Church episode where we talked about welcoming children in church services. There is a lot of reverberation between this episode and last month's, so check it out if you haven't already. In both episodes, here's what we're really getting at. We believe that people, all people, are made in the image of God, full stop. So when we're talking about how to make our churches more inclusive, we aren't talking about welcoming people even though they have disabilities or even though they are children. This is about making our programs better reflect our theology. This is about living out our beliefs about what it means to be human and what it means to love and serve God in community with our siblings in Christ. Here's Pastor Lisa Heffernan. What if we start by talking about your work with the ELCA, just to give leaders an orientation to like where you're coming from as a pastor and as a person working within the ELCA? Well, I am a volunteer with ELCA Disability Ministries. Um, I serve with a group of folks that um, work together to help our church become more accessible, if you want to use those terms. How do, how do we become a church that is truly welcoming of all people and their gifts. We approve grant work, we have done workshops, we do all kinds of things and every day we're finding ways to expand upon our work together. Is that something like where you, like I'm not really familiar with ELCA hierarchy, like are you like a task force within the organization? Is this like a permanent committee? Like, how does that function within the ELCA? We have called it our ELCA Disability Ministries Advisory Table or Advisory Group. Um, Hmm. It's taken different formations over the years, but that's where we're presently at. Well, let's let's dive into talking about theology and theology of disability. Well, it might help to know a little bit of my background and where I'm coming from with this. Sure. I am a pastor in South Dakota. Um, but I am also a pastor with a disability. I was born with the neural tube disorder spina bifida. So I am what folks would designate as a paraplegic and full-time wheelchair user. And in my upbringing, my father also had a disability. He was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis the week that my brother was born 35 years ago. And over the course of our lives, um, His health deteriorated over the years and he passed away when I was 17, almost 18, so about 14 years ago. And we were raised in our whole family, mom, dad, brother, everybody, with the idea of it takes all kinds of people to make our world. We all have a place, we all are important, whatever our gifts and abilities may be. And not the perspective of even though you have a disability, you're important. No, you are important in the fullness that you are. So that's where I tend to come from. I can get a little soapboxy about some of this kind of stuff. But when I think about theologies of disability, I always seem to go back to 1 Corinthians 12. All are a part of the body. We all need one another to build up the body of Christ, the church. And we all have gifts 
that work together to be that positive body in the world, representatives of Christ in our world. And that if we believe in a God who embraces all people, we then are called to embrace one another in the name of Christ. And to find ways to make our worshiping communities, our all of our communities, as, you know, quotes, accessible as possible so that all can fully participate because all are beloved children of God. Do you want to talk a little bit about how accessibility is different from accommodation? Because I think that that's a distinction that many people are not aware of. You know, honestly, for me, they are somewhat interchangeable. Accommodation could, I suppose, be perceived in a bit of a negative way of like, oh, well, we'll make accommodations for you because we weren't prepared for you. But but I would guess I would view accessibility as when you're putting together a program or thinking about a building, saying, okay, let's look at this place and see what needs to be adapted or changed to make it welcoming for all people. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 it does. Thank you. Do you want to talk about the the pragmatic or uh, the physical setting of music making in the church? And I realize that music is just just one bit of what's happening in a church building, but that, that's just like where I'm coming from, the, so the spaces that I'm most familiar with. I think oftentimes as musicians, we aren't really thinking about accessibility in our physical spaces, and we, we don't always have really control over that. That's often something that other people in the church made decisions, and we're just dealing with that. But do you, do you have thoughts both on a theological level and on, on a pragmatic sense of like how we as musicians or as pastoral leaders can shape the experience of people in our congregation and to actually be welcoming to everyone. Well, every church building is physically different. Every worship space is different. Some will have that choir loft at the back above everyone. Some will have, if we want to go with the the choir example, that specific, even at the front of the sanctuary, that Mm -hmm. area of seating for the choir, sort of a choir loft, but down in the front. There is a church in my community that has the setup of the choir sits in the front, sort of to one side of the altar space. And um, my own church choir, when the church service begins, they're sort of all gathered together in a front few pews. Then they will go up to the front of the chancel to sing. And in my specific place, that works because I have a young woman in my congregation who has a progressive um, disorder that well, eventually she will not be able to walk anymore. So our layout works well for her to be able to fully participate. She's got a beautiful singing voice. She's a great addition to our choir. So our layout works best for her. Mm, You do face that challenge when you might have that raised choir loft in some spaces. But I think then that almost, I don't want to say requires, but maybe it requires the pastor and the musicians to look at your space and say, okay, who do we want to welcome into our choir? Who might be in this place? Who is in this place and has those gifts to offer? And how can we work together to make this not doable, but how can we work together to create better access so that those folks who are presently in our choir or who may one day want to be in our choir can fully participate? Um, So it might mean instead of meeting up in your choir loft, you sing from the front of the church um, or or just 
look, really looking at your space and seeing what makes the most sense and being the most welcoming. It seems like some of this is a mental switch, at least in many churches, where you think not of like who is here now, but who do we want to welcome into, into the church? Yes, absolutely. I, I, will, I will say this. I, I love my congregation. They um, remodeled part of the chancel space to make it more accessible for me as pastor. But mm-hmm. the way yeah. we sort of sold it for them was if you make these adjustments, this person over here can continue to be in choir for as long as they are able. This person over here who can provide special music but can't do steps can participate better if we have a ramp. And Mm -hmm. just opening up our minds of, okay, these people are already here, and you're an aging congregation with very gifted people. What's it going to look like in 10 years when it's a little harder for some folks to get around? Or we may have some younger folks coming in who are gifted in their own ways, musically or or in whatever area. And how can we make these adaptations now so someone doesn't walk into our church one day or wheel into our church one day and go, oh, I don't belong here. I actually had an interesting encounter in my congregation recently. Um, I have a few gentlemen in my congregation who um, live in a group home in my community. And all three of them have varying disabilities. Um, One of those gentlemen is mostly nonverbal. But yet he opens that hymn book every Sunday. He's bopping along to the hymns. He's even humming. And I had a woman say to me the other day, you know, I think I heard him singing a few words. If his carers in his group home said, hey, he wants to go up with the choir, I would I would say welcome. You know, he's not singing off pitch, but he might be humming. He might only be able to say or sing a word or two, but he's praising God, and he wants to do that with music in his own way. And I think that that's really beautiful. I also have in in that group of men, one of the men is visually impaired. And the same person who observed that the nonverbal man, man who's nonverbal, might have been singing a little bit said to me, can we get a braille hymnal? This person comes here every week. He's a huge part of our community. But he yet doesn't fully get to participate because we don't have a braille hymnal. Can I ask counsel about that? And I said, absolutely. And not just because we have the one person, but because we might have someone else down the road who's visually impaired. We have tried really hard to make large print bulletins for our older folks who can't see well. Um, I have one gentleman who has a large print hymnal that his family bought for him. You know, my, my congregation in many ways, especially recently here, it seems is working really hard to um, create better access for our community. And to an extent, some of that was spearheaded by me or me saying, have you thought about this? But I think it's a great thing when congregations really look at their place and say, how can we make this more open for all? It's not going to be perfect sounding. And what is the goal of our music ensemble? Is it to sound good? Is it to praise God? And what does that look like? And if that is a, if there's a both and there, because there often is, let's have a real conversation about this. We want to be open and welcoming. We want to have a good choir. How, how can we 
How can we struggle with both and maybe make both possible? I want to throw something in here as, as just an idea for the people who are listening who are ministers of music and people who are making these choices. One thing that I found very useful is choosing to do small ensembles in addition to the choir. And I realize that's not always possible for someone who's like, say, working a quarter time job and they just can't invest the time into that. But if you do have the time, oftentimes a small ensemble is a great place for a great place to welcome people in who have a wide array of musical abilities. And for me, that often just means, you know, kids in middle school um, who are beginning at their instruments. And, you know, it's here's a space where I can really work with them and give them the confidence that they need to play in the church while also like low stress. It's not every single week. That kind of thing. So I just want to put that out there for any music ministers listening. This is a that's a great way to include people of a wide array of musical abilities. Yeah, I I would absolutely agree. Small ensembles are a great idea to be expansive and inclusive of all. The choir is often its own group, and it they do beautiful music all the time. But small groups are a great option. It's something that I wish more congregations were able to do because it could add so much to the life of the church. Yeah, it really does. It definitely adds time commitment for the person who's leading rehearsals. Um, so churches who who have someone who you know works full time at another job and then is just you know ten hours a week, that is very hard for them to manage. Right, but maybe you have lay people yeah. who want to work mm-hmm. with that small mm-hmm. ensemble themselves. Yeah, and consult with your music director. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And maybe that small ensemble can be a something that's integral to the worship and not, I'm thinking really of like little children, how it's like, oh, yay, we get to, I mean, speaking of tokenism, oh, here's the little kids up at the the front, they're so cutesy pie, and yes, of course they're cutesy pie, because they're like four, but but at the end of the day, like you, they're, they're there as our brothers and sisters leading worship. I guess for me, my thing is the continual battle conundrum, what have you, is how do we, in the name of Christ, respond to the call to love and embrace and serve all of our siblings in Christ from whatever background we have? And how how do we make our churches, even our society, more barrier-free so that we can live together and serve one another? It's interesting to me when you think about building structures, be it a church or somewhere else, when you look at access especially if it's an adaptation to a space that needs to happen pretty quickly. Oftentimes you'll have a building group say, oh, well, we can put a ramp in in the next week. And my reaction to that is, but have you talked to the person who's going to be using that piece of equipment? Mm-hmm. Does that meet the need? Does that actually make your church more accessible? Or are you speeding up and doing it without really being thoughtful about it? And how does that relate to the way we do our music in our churches? Um, How does it relate to how we do our curriculums in our churches? You know, we need to, I think, really be intentional of ministering with one another and and not only ministering to the person who's different, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Can you talk more about um, curriculums? (laughs) That, that's, a, that's a constant challenge. It, it really is because you have youth and adults with varying abilities, disabilities of all kinds. So it's an ever-growing um, question, ever-growing, I don't even know what you want to call it, um, something that 
many people are more aware of now, that there are different learning styles, there are different needs that people have in order to be taught well and to learn well, and the more we can build off of one another's knowledge and resources, um, I think the better off the people that we teach are going to be. If, if it means consulting with a paraprofessional or a special education teacher in your elementary school, say, I have a student coming in with autism or Down syndrome, and uh, this is where they are on whatever spectrum. What do you suggest we do to help this child? And meeting with the family, meeting with the student, and building relationship with one another. I think that that's really key, is you can provide these resources, but when it comes down to an individual student, be they an adult or a child, you're not going to know their needs until you build a relationship. You're not going to know how best you learn and teach together until you build a relationship. And I think those relationships are rooted in who we are in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ built for relationship with God and with each other. And as we think about learning mutually from each other, relationship, I think, is at one of the cores of that question. It would be like me coming in to my confirmation class and just saying, I'm going to lecture all year because this is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I know how to do. But mm -hmm. instead of doing that, what I do, or I try to do at least every year, is I set up a basic lesson plan. I have some basic activities that I try to accomplish. But at the beginning of the year, I sit my class down and, and I say to them, okay, I want you guys to think about something. How do you learn best? Do you learn best by writing things down? By doing things hands-on? By visual means? Technology means? I want you to think about that and let's talk about it. And if you don't know for sure, let's, let's brainstorm a little bit. Because I've found, I, I've been in my call about four and a half years, I found when I ask that question, I find better ways to connect with my students and they find better ways to learn and to incorporate what they're learning into their daily life as young Christian people. And also like build, building life skills for their, yes. their yes. future. Exactly. It's a huge life skill. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, you are miles ahead if you can figure out how to help yourself learn. <laughs> Right. And and I and I think and I think I was challenged to consider those questions through some classes I took in seminary and through conversations with other friends who are involved in disability ministry work is how does each person learn the best? And it, it's a challenge, it's a marathon, but you do your best and and hopefully with God's grace thrown in there, of course, good learning, good relationship building happens. Can we bring this back a little bit to thinking about thinking about people who are, say, a pastor or a minister of music in a church who wants wants to make changes to a program? Do you have suggestions on how people who are like, we need to do X, whatever that is, to make our space more accessible or to make our music program or our church program more accessible? Do you have suggestions for how we can talk to, say, church councils, parish councils, in a way that helps people who, who might not have thought about this before, in ways that help people be open to those ideas and not just say like, oh, well, let's find the way it is. Because a lot of people, you know, tend to say, well, what we have is great, right? I think what I've done is bring it down to the reality of the context. And like when I came in 
to my congregation, I think the conversation from at least a few people was, well, we can make the sanctuary more accessible while past release is still here, and then we can switch it back. Mm. And then having pushback from others going, no, look, look, look at our context. Look at who is a part of our congregation. This isn't just about having a pastor who uses a wheelchair. This is about updating our church space so that we can best minister with and to a wider group of people. We're not changing it back. And I think it helps to personalize it as best as you can. Many people can name someone that they know or at least know of who has physical disability, intellectual disability, something, and say, okay, put that person in this congregation. Because that person, they're in our community. Mm -hmm. And you know what? The longer our churches stay inaccessible, whatever that looks like, the fewer people we're going to have hear the gospel. And what's our mission here? We're not a social club. We're a church. And our call is to share the gospel. How do we best do that? That like sums it up right there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Told you I get so boxy. (laughs) I think it's something that all congregations struggle with is you ask any congregation, why do you come here? And a lot of them will say, well, I love the people, which is great and vital to the community. You, You love your people. But is it just because you have, quote, good music? Or is it about the relationship that gets built with God and with one another through your music, through your worship, through your community? I was reading the Pew Research Forum's research on why people go to church, which was just recently released. And I'll I'll link to that in the show notes for listeners who want to check it out. But one of the key reasons that people go to church, no surprise, is to be closer to God yeah. and not because it's a social club. <laughs> and um, I think I think oftentimes like we get bogged down into like, you know, let's make this fun. Let's make this whatever social clubby and yeah. forget like like the basic of like, well, why do we go to church? Right. And I guess for, from my perspective, and I preach this a lot, (laughs) is we are fed and nourished in our worship together, in our whole life together, so that we can go out in love and service to God and each other. So, you know, you have some, some backgrounds that have more of the focus on the personal salvation piece, and then you have some that Mm -hmm. are more of the Mm -hmm. outward focus too. And it's just differing theologies. It's how you think about your faith and about scripture and about God. Mm -hmm. But I definitely come from a background of we are fed and nourished here so that we can reach out to others in the name of Christ. So I, I always come from that perspective. Here, here's the formation. Here, here we are fed and nourished. Now let's go live it out. And, and what is God, what is God and what's the Holy Spirit doing out there and pushing us to do? What is the Holy Spirit doing in our worship to challenge us to be active? members of our society who are Christians who reach out in love and service to our neighbors, whatever, whoever those neighbors may be. Yeah. Faith in action or... Yeah, absolutely. Faith without works is dead, but a living faith is a faith that has works. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And I see it as God and Jesus Christ did the saving, and we live in faithful response to that salvation that we have received by Christ. Not because mm-hmm. God will like us any better or anything like that, but... Because this is what we're called to do as disciples of Christ. We live out the gospel. And to live it out with music is an amazing gift that many people have. My, my church-wide work is very important to what I do. And we're, we're a solid group. And, you know, like any ministry, 
we live into it day to day and our we have our goals that we hope to achieve and that it's good and important work and part of my participation is in it is to encourage other others that are in congregations of all types to think about how folks with disabilities are not just included in the body of Christ, but are the body of Christ, just as much as anyone else is in the body of Christ. Wow, it's really been a pleasure talking with you. Yeah, you Thank too. Thank you for the time in doing this and for sharing, sharing your perspectives mm-hmm. and your wisdom. Thank you. Thanks to Pastor Lisa Heffernan for this conversation. You can find the show notes for this episode at musicandthechurch.com slash 35, where you can find lots of other resources for church musicians. If you'd like to get in touch, send me an email at musicandthechurch at gmail.com. I'm Sarah Brisa, and I'll be back next month with another episode of Music and the Church.